Welcome to Butterflies and Brainery. Yeah, we have a very special episode. Probably not special for you guys, but it's special for us because <laughs> we're together. It's been a year. It's yep. been a year since we've been in the same room together and been able to record together. So yeah, we're excited and it's very awesome. <laughs> We're sitting in Jemima's new kitchen. Yeah. And she got to show it off to me last night. <laughs> it's exciting. It was fun. And we have a special guest that will be joining us. All, I say special guest, but all our guests are always special. But our guest is Lisa Kendall. We interviewed her before. She is founder. Jemima knows a little bit better because Jemima is on the board. <laughs> yeah. We'll give you all the deets on her because she's a pretty amazing yes. person. So she is the founder of Countercult Coalition, and her mother joined the move of God led by Sam Fife. I think she did tell her story the last episode that we interviewed her, and here she is. Hi, Lisa. Hi. I wanted to have you tell us again for our audience a little bit about your backstory. Your mom joined the move when you were... I was in from 9 to 19. And 9 to 19, okay. Yeah, and the move of God, which we call the move, and it was active in 30 countries. It's active in 15 today, or at least as of last year, it was still in 15. An end time cult where we had to go out into the wilderness, died from the government and the mark of the beast, and people went out and lived on these very rural farms without running water or electricity. The cabins today are much more modern, but for the children I grew up with, that's how they grew up. And of course, denied a basic education, most of us, and a lot of physical violence, too much sexual assault, and sometimes with the children being blamed. This is so typical for so many groups. It's just yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad and shocking, really, though. So many of the cults have the same MO, the same schedules. Like it was the same with us. It was 6 a.m. Reveille every day. And it was like, you're in God's boot camp. Basically, we were in boot camp for our whole lives. And that was, was very, was different than that in terms of both scheduling and the fact that it, every community was very different. If you lived in a city, it was mostly how your parents lived in your own home. Lots and lots of hypocrisies so very confusing. Yeah. And then I left. I had less than a ninth grade education. I had lots of healthcare issues, rotting teeth, didn't know how the world worked, no contacts, no money. And, you know, so my 20s were really difficult. I started selling real estate when I was 26, and that was my ticket. That worked really well for me, even though I'll, nobody in my immediate family had owned a home and I didn't have any contacts. It still worked for me so that I was able to then buy a house and travel and to a small extent, take care of my two younger sisters. Today, of course, I have a bachelor in international studies and a master's in public administration with a focus on public-private partnerships. Very helpful for today. Yes, for the work that you're currently doing. Yes. So you founded the Counter-Cult Coalition rather recently, 
correct? Yeah, I started using the name eight or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I found it helpful when talking to legislators or other leaders, just they were more likely to answer or turn my phone call if it wasn't just a name, it was associated with with an organization. And then Mm -hmm. last February, I thought I really need more support to to actually be more effective and get more done. So it's new. I've been building the board. We've had several fundraisers, lots of great work. We've been gathering various laws that either touch on cults or directly apply. And we have plans to use that to better public policy. And we were lucky enough to have Jemima join us on our executive board. (laughs) You've been wonderful, very helpful, supportive. And talented. Mm. You're so sweet. (laughs) Whisper can vouch for that. Yeah. (laughs) And so the Countercall Coalition's main goal is? To affect better public policy. And that can shift and change depending on what's happening in the world. In the past, I've testified against religious opt-outs, written amicus briefs, supported the authorities like Adult Protective Services, Child Protective Services, when they're investigating cases involving cults. It is surprising to me how, because we grew up with it, it's always amazing how little people understand it and the assumptions that they have. And so you go into a case and the judge says, I don't want to hear about the cult. I only care about the parents. And then you explain how the cult controls the parents by providing them with literature, letters, phone calls from people who have left. And then they go, oh, okay. And then they end up making a better decision than they had originally planned. And that is a common theme, at least that I've seen. And regarding the religious opt-outs, that's because my area of expertise in cults is religious cults and Bible cults. And the children whose parents are the most likely to be isolationists will be for the opt-out when it comes to vaccines and medical care and sex education in school and outdoor school. And so the children end up missing out on so much. And if we can limit the opt-outs, which many legislatures around the United States have been going back and undoing that and saying, yeah, we need to remove that religious opt-out. When you say a religious opt-out, what does that mean? In North Dakota, I testified for Rita Swan from Child Inc. in, I think that was 2014 or 15. The pulse oximetry is the thing that they put on your finger every time you go to the doctor. And when a newborn baby is delivered, one of the tests that some states do is put that a little one on the baby's finger because they can catch a heart disease. So there's, unfortunately, the religious opt-out was put in. Oh, it's against my religion. You can't tell me if my baby has heart disease. So if we think about that, it's so crazy. There's no needle. It's not invasive. There's just so many because people are not understanding the impact to the children. And they thought, like in North Dakota, we need to respect the parents' rights. And then in regard to... But the work we really want to do this fall, winter, and spring is creating documents. I'm sorry, one of my cats decided to open the kitchen cabinets and they're banging closed. Policy briefs that we can then share with 
leaders and that other people can then use also. So not just having the information in our databases, but creating the kinds of documents that people use and share. As I've said before, I benefit from the work that other people have done. Tabitha! (laughs) I swear to God. They only do it when I'm on a podcast, I swear. (laughs) As soon as you're doing something, they're like, um, excuse me, I'm over here. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Anyway, Rita Swan has newsletters that she put out every quarter for over a decade. And I use them regularly. I will print them out and then take them with me where I'm somewhere in a waiting room or whatever, so that I can be reminded of legislation that she helped pass to better protect children. And also people will say, oh, it's all these things are already against the law. We always have laws that are changing to better protect children, animals, the environment. As we better understand issues, we then need to tweak our policy or enact legislation to better address those things. With the move of God, there were four elders who came together. They very extensively documented child abuse in the move. And they also posted on online, you can go online and it's called Letter to the Father Ministry. They had no idea what ended up being used decades later. So at the end of it, it's all of the emails that it was sent to. And so when leaders say, oh, we didn't know anything about it, we go back and say, wait a minute, you got that email. And then of course they don't answer. But it also is documentation from what really went on. And we want to do the same thing. We want to expand that, create more documents for other people to use Hmm. and push policy forward. Talk to legislators about how to better protect children, how to investigate more effectively, more thoroughly using models from the U.S. and Europe and Australia. So, for instance, there are so many laws and policies that are just piecemealed around the country and around the world that we can expand on. But a lot of people, they're busy. They don't realize what's happening in other areas. They don't see that this is working. It could work here too. So for instance, in New Jersey, it is illegal to manipulate or coerce someone for the benefit of a group or for yourself, part of a group. And they define it in a way that definitely covers cults. Now, New York has legislation that is pending, and if it passes, it only pertains to someone living in your house, so for instance, an intimate partner or something like that. And then if it passes, we and hopefully other people would be looking at expanding that to cover coercive groups like cults. I feel like that's extremely important. The new laws regarding statute of limitations are so exciting. There are few people who understand the importance of that, like you two, people from the children of God who've had so much trouble bringing the most violently abusive leaders to justice because, oh, it's been too long. Yes. And I'd like you to speak to how people aren't ready to deal with that three years after it happened or three years after they turned 18, why you need more time to mature and work through it and realize that you want to do something about it. Yes. I've been reading The Body Keeps the Score and I've actually been learning a lot about that very thing, why it takes so long for you to 
process things that happen. It takes years. Honestly, I didn't even really understand the depth of what happened to me until I was like 45. Yes. It takes a very long time. I didn't even understand really that I had been abused until 2012. So 40. And I actually went to a therapist and they're like, you've been abused. And I'm like, (laughs) wait, what? Yeah. It was that much of a cognitive dissonance to me that I didn't even understand that I had been abused, much less the lengths of the abuse. And even now we're still unpacking a lot of that stuff. And it's so many. Everyone is. Yes. And the statute of limitations has held back so many people from pursuing any kind of justice. So I think this is just the hugest step in progress for anybody that's had trauma. In or out of a cult. You know, how Jake was explaining it to me that, as in the case of New York, and as we know, New York is often on the forefront of progressive helpful laws. Mm -hmm. And they opened up this one-year window, I believe it was in 2019, where anybody for one year, regardless of when the abuse happened, could come forward and file a report. And then, of course, all these people come forward and the public begins <laughs> to understand because people are saying, here's why I didn't come forward sooner. So people yeah. are understanding, wow, child abuse is a bigger issue than I realized. And this is why people don't come forward. And this is why we need to look at the statute of limitations. So in New York, after that, they said for anybody after the year was up from now going on forward, anybody who files a claim of abuse. It was no longer retroactive to way back when, Mm -hmm. but then Biden now has removed the statute of limitations for anybody who has experienced child abuse. Like me, there's no way I could prove anything, nothing. And I'm sure that you guys would have a lot of trouble proving things despite Mm -hmm. the extensive documentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it is because it was overseas when it happened. That was well, one. a variety of different countries. Yes, mm-hmm. that was one of the main issues. And then the second main issue was that we didn't use our legal names mm-hmm. in the cult. Everybody had a Bible name. Like my name was Gentleness and Bathsheba. <laughs> and her name was Joanna. And Like they would do this whenever you have a big change in your life, you have to change your name or whenever you have a big problem, you were supposed to change your name to reflect. That's why I named myself gentleness because I was a teen shepherd, a teen counselor, and someone had determined that I was too harsh with the teenagers. So they, they said to go and pray and get a new name and gentleness is, the name that I came up with. And then somebody wanted to call me Jenny and, or I wanted to call myself Jenny because it was gentleness. It's awfully long. And that was a big fact. No, because we had a story of Jenny, the mule. And so Jenny immediately means you're stubborn, which I already was. So they absolutely said, no, you cannot call yourself Jenny. So I had to call myself gentleness. And then one leader started calling me Genty. And then that stuck with me. And then I was actually Genty until I moved here to Idaho. That's the first time. It's only eight and a half years that I've been going by Jemima. Before that, 
it was Genty because I also hated the name Jemima because everybody made fun of me. <laughs> what nice children you grew up with. God was obviously there. Mm-hmm. Certainly it's not confusing for children to keep changing their names. Exactly. No. That I think a lot of that was part of the, you know, we don't want you to have an identity. Mm-hmm. And so the more confused you are about constantly changing your name and your identity, the less you're going to feel like, oh, I am this person. Yeah. We literally had a saying, the less there is of me, the more there is of you. Yes. Talking about God. That was a belief system. The less there is of you. The more that Jesus can shine through. That mm-hmm. is so horrible. It reminds me of the moves death to self. You shouldn't want anything. So you don't want a career. You don't want an education. You don't want yep. to speak up for yourself. You don't want to say that you don't want to work seven days a week, you know, when you're 15. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. Unbelievable. And the, and most people on the you know, outside world, people who aren't familiar with cults, when they're voting for somebody or looking at public policy or wondering whether or not they should get involved with a fundraiser, they're not understanding how complex these issues are. I've had people say to me, oh, the children are abused in the broader society. Yes, they are. And it is terrible. The intersectionality of isolation, not knowing people on the outside, having everyone around you dress like you act like you use the same weird fucking language you use, pray at the same place, all of that. And while you're being physically abused and or sexually abused, denied an education, you just go on and on and on. And you have so many hurdles just Mm -hmm. to leave and go get a fucking low wage job. Yeah. And especially because the abuse is coinciding with some type of belief system, there's this astronomical amount of gaslighting that happens. Absolutely. And that's a big thing to overcome. And that's why it takes a long time to sometimes to break down those trauma bonding (laughs) systems that you have stuck in. It's always uh, nice to talk to people who have experienced life in a cult because you're not (laughs) obviously, so it's such an obvious statement, but you're not going to be asking these questions like you're completely dumbfounded. And I really enjoyed the podcast I just did, Critical and Thinking. I really like Ian Harris and Ty Barnett. They're great. But not being familiar with cults, they were shocked. And I was like in days the next day, just wandering after that night, wandering around while I was shopping and running errands. It felt like I was wandering around because in my head, I was just like, I felt like I just got hit hit by a bus. And the reason is that they were right. They were right. But their reality is so different than ours that it was like colliding. And I sent a message to Ian briefly, just mentioning something, not, of course, not trying to explain it. But we're talking about the Amish, how some Amish men and lots of Amish girls who fluff say that one of the reasons Amish men have sex with their daughters and sisters is that it's to keep them in the group because it's to keep families together at all costs. That's what a prosecutor said. I read in a newspaper, keep the family together at all costs. And so the girls are basically taking one for the team over and over because they already have motivation to leave. And if you're telling teenage boys and men they can't have sex, then they're going to leave. If you want them to stay, oh, let's forgive them. Let's look the other way. Let's pretend they're not doing it. So Ian Harris said, this is one of the things that was just like, I didn't even know how to answer. Ian Harris was like, why don't they just let them have sex with women? And I said, because that would be a sin. And then he just threw his hands up. And it's true. And I'm sure he was thinking, but isn't it a sin to rape your daughter? But the difference is that they would have to totally change their ideology to say, okay, all of a sudden, everybody can have sex outside of marriage. Same thing in the move. We didn't say go rape children. But when little girls came and said that that was horrible, like this one 
one of many, four, this four-year-old, the leader said, you need to forgive him. You know what I'm saying? We just, yep. but, we, but we didn't change it and say you can have sex with adults. And obviously, for the most part, the kind of person who wants to have sex with a child might not be as interested in an adult. On the other hand, you have people with urges. If you tell them all sex is wrong, they're confused. That's a problem with the quiverful. They're confused. All sex is wrong. They have an urge. If it's all wrong and it's all bad, masturbation is bad because you're spilling your seed. I'll just roll over on my sister. And again, Ian Harris is like, why don't they just have sex with women? And it's like you would have to acknowledge what's happening, think it through and be willing to change your belief system. You guys know what I'm talking about because you guys had lots of troubles changing when there was pushback, people having sex with children and the children of God, no secret. It was really hard for the leaders to stop having sex with children. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really hard for outsiders to understand that. It's so baked in the cake. Even the people not doing it might not want to change it. Yeah. And so we have this huge challenge to try to help people understand some of these things. And talking to you guys is great because I'm not like dumbfounded by not knowing how to answer questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were saying that just to not have to translate yourself. Yeah. Is so nice. The information about the statute of limitations is so exciting. It's Amazing to see what's happening. I know that Child Inc., which is a group of attorneys who have worked on child abuse and on statute of limitations, have moved the ball forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't instrumental in this happening. They're a great group. And it's important for us to support each other and to know who's out there doing good things. As soon as that opened up, like probably the next day... There's advertisement popping up all over the place. Join this class action suit. It's all over the place. If you were abused here, if you were abused there, join the Latter-day Saints. We're suing them. What would you suggest someone to do if they were in a position where they're like, now that this law is here, I want to actually move forward with bringing civil charges against someone that they knew? That's a good question. I think it would depend on where you live, what kind of cult it is and your own abilities. If you're able to Google online and find attorneys, typically you will need to fill out the form online or email or call several before you get someone who's interested in helping. You'll need to plan how you're going to tell them the information. You want to have, be very concise. I was abused in this kind of group in this year by these people. And I do have evidence, that kind of a thing. So you want to be really organized. I would have that written down both online and like on a piece of paper in case there's an issue with you accessing it. There are people who have specialties. There is a woman, Carol Murchison, who she helps with civil cases involving sexual abuse of women in Buddhist groups. Again, it depends. It depends on if it's a Bible cult. Again, like if it's JWs, you might go on a discussion group for ex-JWs and ask them. Or there's so many attorneys in your area. Another thing, especially in Buffalo, New York, there's lots of attorneys because there's a law school. When I was there, I had people tell me, oh, yeah, I'm getting a $40,000 payout for someone T-boning my car because there's a lot of attorneys here. It's exactly what someone said. So I think it really (laughs) depends on where you are. And there are support groups for so many cults. 
The Bill Gothard group, far more problematic than I had any idea. I recently met somebody right here in Portland who was involved in the group. He found a support group online. It was helpful for a little while. Then he said it was just a basic same thing over and over, helping people who are coming out of it, helping them understand how they were abused. And then he needed to move on because it became repetitive. But then if he was looking to sue, he might tap back into that and say, are there any attorneys addressing this? One of the problems that I've found, and I'm sure you guys have found, when you report something to law enforcement and they go out, like I know there was some people who went out to the move in the 2010s, I don't know when, because there have been so many accusations or reports of child abuse. And they went out and said, oh, the place is wonderful. They're baking bread, making quilts, and there are flowers around the cabins. And I've heard stories like that before. I guess it's on us to help them understand. I'm sure, but why don't you guys tell me about your experiences like that? Mm-hmm. Even though they whisked you away and hid you with cars with the windows blacked out and curtains on them <laughs> and all the crazy shit they did to you guys, there had to be some investigations by the authorities that you guys were aware of. Yeah, there was. They did a really thorough job of training us. We would go through military style programs of how to answer. They would actually do mock raids and they do mock raids, pretend to be the authorities, come in, pretend to question the children. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Yep. They'd wake you up, get you out of bed. Sick people. Yep. Sick people. Yep. How could they not know that's traumatizing for a child? Yeah, it was scary. No, I'm not being abused, even though my fucking uncle raped me last night. Nope, we're happy here. Yeah. Yeah. And that was specific words you had to use. Like they went through almost any question that they could ask you. And then they gave you a scripted answer. Yeah. And people were actually trained. The only people allowed to speak to the media were people that were trained. Yep. And it was very extensive covering up. Yeah, There was a lot of that training as well about what happened to you isn't abuse. It's in love. It's done in love. Maybe it might've happened at the wrong time. And and then they'd be like, okay, that's not real child abuse. Here's what's child abuse. And then they would make us read these horror stories. Do you remember the one about the girl that was taped to the toilet and her mom left her there for months on end? They'd be like, that's what child abuse is. What happened to you is not. It's love. And so when an authority would come along and say, have you been abused? We'd be like, no, of course not. We're happy. We're good. No. Yeah. They love us. Total fear. It's hard to, it's hard to prove something like that. But also the authorities in our particular case ran into a lot of problems with people not using their legal names, being all over. These crimes are being committed in other countries. All of my abuse happened Outside of the United States. A lot of that is illegal in those places, too. You shouldn't have to be in the United States. And there were people in Greece, Switzerland, France from the children of God. I think Interpol had something going for a little while, but it's been really difficult. And as horrible as it is, there is also a general apathy, sort of, Mm -hmm. about child abuse and domestic violence and things like that. There's a general... Okay. Okay. You know, that's not the real crime or that's not really what we have time to go after that sort of a thing. And that's what we came up against. I know we have a group in our community that's trying to get some signatures together, trying to get 
the authorities invested in prosecuting the current leader of the cult, which is Karen Zerbe. And it's really hard. It's really hard to get that. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that project and it's great. The problem is all the things you said, apathy, and children don't vote, children don't have money. And it's yep. been so long. I'm wondering now about younger people who have more recently left, if they'll be able to avail themselves of the laws within the new windows. Yeah, I will be very interested too, because there is a little bit of that element of how do you prove? Because a lot of times it's going to turn back into a he said, she said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like in my case, if I wanted to. I would have to get someone to confirm that I was forced to work when I didn't want to. That would be hard. And I do think if I had done it a few years after leaving, I think it would have been obvious because I should have been in high school. I'd been a really good student. I didn't want to work. I think somebody would likely have believed me, but I know they would have pushed back hard, but then they would have had to explain why they took and then three quarters of it. You cannot force a child to work and then take their salary. And I was living in this huge, horrible clapboard dorm with a bunch of other women in a bunk bed while I'm working seven days a week and giving them half of my income. And I was a ward of the state in Oregon and they weren't paying for my medical care, dental care or clothes. I was recently reading a book about how one of the ways cults make you dependent on them is they have you move in and then work with them there. And then they provide you with clothes and medical care. And I was like, what? I didn't even get that. Yeah. That's why a lot of times it is really close to human trafficking. There's a crossover there. No, it is human trafficking. It is, absolutely. All all the experts in the field say that's human trafficking. Forcing someone to work, whether they're a child or an adult, you force them through coercion. I begged not to. I said, I've been working since I was 12. I buy my own glasses and shoes. I need a break. And they said, no, you have to work. And two days later, I was working in a restaurant as a waitress with no experience. And on the weekends, working in a motel, making beds. When I should have been learning about the world, I was 17. And because they've created an environment where you're dependent on them for your survival. They're the ones who are feeding you and giving you a house. And so it, it really falls pretty heavily into that human trafficking arena. The other problem that is especially problematic in the United States, which is why we've had some success over in places like the UK and stuff with prosecuting them. But in the United States, the religious thing is so, everyone freaks the fuck out about it. And because they're afraid that if they come up against something and they're like, oh, that's your religious beliefs. I have to let you do that. I have to let you be because that's your religious beliefs. And that's a big one that that sometimes comes and that's, up. So. I ran into that before and I would just say, well, if you have to rape your children to practice your religion, there's something wrong with your religion and people get it. People don't want to be associated with that and coercing people. When people come to understand the level of coercion, I remember when I yeah. was 12, I ran into somebody in public from the move and I was wearing pants. I still remember them. They were red and white plaid with kind of like a bell bottom. And I was mortified. I was so ashamed. And I didn't feel guilty because I knew it was okay. So I knew it was okay for me to wear pants, but I'm being shamed. Mm-hmm. And I was so worried they're going to tell people that is me not believing in the doctrine of this group. It's one of many examples. I thought it was okay to watch TV and read secular books, but I wasn't allowed to. And I didn't have the reasoning ability to say to myself, even as a teenager, 
if I don't believe this shit, what am I doing here? It's not fun. I'm yeah. crying every night. Literally. I think the general like layperson, the public is going to understand, like you said, if you have to rape your children to practice your religion, it's probably not a great religion. But once you start going in, it's the authorities and the judges. And that's where the people start getting, I don't really want to touch it. Yes, it's wrong, but I don't really want to touch it because of what could go wrong. We need to address that then. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, for sure. It's just one of those other hurdles that we face in overcoming what we're trying to do and the movements that we're trying to create. I know you guys have done covert stuff that has been really helpful. There've been other Mm -hmm. cases where people haven't done a good job. They've been really obvious when they've done that. I can talk about some of the covert stuff we've done now. Um, Somebody who created the email accounts for one of the farms in the move, they never changed the password. So after she left, Nice. Yeah, she was able to find out so much. So, for instance, because I was so public, I had done radio programs about it and been speaking in public, and I was working on court cases and I did an amicus brief. One of the elders I knew who was very abusive was one of their spokesmen. He was going to go into court, and and he's a handsome guy who looks reasonable. And so I listed all the fucking shit he had done to so many people. Oops, they couldn't use him then as a witness, and. They were talking about suing me and I was threatened a lot. And so was the local radio station, KBU, all day, every day, constant harassment, sending me messages saying, you said, blah, blah, blah. Can you back it up? How do you know abuse is more prevalent in the move than in the general public and stuff? And so they, when they were talking emails from farm to farm and state, like Alaska down to Georgia and Alabama, They said, no, we don't want to sue Lisa. We don't want all this shit coming out in court. Of course, they didn't say shit. It's interesting that we were getting all this back, some inside information. And then there are people who are wanting to leave, who will share information. I went online and searched people on Facebook that live in places I'd never been, who had once been in the move. I went through people's Facebook pages and looked for people that they were friends with, contacted them. And so all these people sent letters and phone calls to adult Mm -hmm. protective services and child protective services. And I was told by a secretary that, oh my God, the phones are ringing off the hook. So all these people who left said, yeah, I left because they were forcing people to hold their babies' noses until they passed out if they cried. That's obviously abuse and it's not healthy. But so many people said that. How could you deny all of these people? So I know that there are ways to combat it that the general public might not understand that we know. Yeah. Your world is far more interesting than most most (laughs) of the... You know what I mean? Most of the ex-cult groups, you guys have those great Facebooks online with lists of all of the people, people who've committed suicide. You guys share information. You have you have so much. It's amazing. And a lot of you seem to go visit each other on your birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely think, at least in our case, that the way that we were constantly shuffled about our whole life. We were never allowed to keep anything. Nothing ever belonged to us. You could just get shifted in the middle of the day for or in the night for no fucking reason whatsoever, moved to some place, new home, new country, like whatever. I think we treasure the people that we are still connected 
to. There's just, uh, that's what we have left of our past. That's really the only thing we have to show for years and years is the people in our lives. That's it. (laughs) So that might be why we get full from connecting with each other. It it feeds our soul, I think. Yeah. A form of roots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's our roots are in in each other, not in a place. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's true. It is. It's very true. Very true. It's really wonderful that you guys have that. That is. Yeah. That's special. I am curious. I've heard about some people from the children of God who have managed to prosecute people. A few names have come to the surface. I don't know if I can mention them here. And I'm wondering if people share that information around, if you've compiled it. We'd certainly like to compile it for ideas in our list of what people are doing. What's out there? What's available? Ideas. Like, for instance, the thing with Kansas using RICO laws on a cult. And in California, they use trafficking for Rainieri. Different places have used different things. We want to compile everything we can. Yeah. Do you guys have some kind of behind the scenes thread or email or anything? We don't have very much of that, I think, because there just hasn't been much success. Most recently, of course, we have the case that in in the UK, as I mentioned, or actually the Scot- Scotland is where it was, where there was some, some successful prosecution there. By the so, way, that's uh, an interesting one I've told people about. Yeah. And they don't have statute of limitations. In Scotland. On, in the UK, yeah. There's no statute of limitations on crimes against children. For some reason, crimes against children don't count in the United States. So that's been one that was successful. But part of the reason why it was also successful is that the crimes were committed there at, in, in Scotland, Scotland you know. in the UK. Derek yeah. Lincoln. Derek Lincoln is the one that they managed right, to successfully you. prosecute. Okay, as I recall, and I know this sounds crass, but he raped children in a variety of countries and they could only get him in Scotland. And I know there were prosecutors in various countries working together to put him behind bars. Yes. Yeah. It's the Derek Lincoln case in Scotland. If anybody wants to research it further into it, that's one of the only successful prosecution cases that have happened to adults from the children of God, as far as sexual abuse goes. Yeah. It would be interesting to find out if there's more information out there. We definitely haven't had a lot of success. But that right there is helpful to be able to tell people about the statute of limitations in various Mm -hmm. parts of the world. I don't know what it is in Australia. I know that one of the things they provide for is medical care and Mm -hmm. mental health therapy for children leaving a coercive group. That should just be standardized. If I had mental care and health care when I left the cult, my whole life might have been quite a lot different than it is now. My brother might be alive. Yes, exactly. Actually, a lot of people might be alive. So many of us have siblings who have either died from drug overdoses or suicide because of the horrors that they experienced. Yeah, or cancer, like in her brother's case. Not getting health care. And then bringing your physical condition to a point of no return because you weren't getting care. There's that side of it, too, in in our case, in our cult's case. Yeah, there was a big fear of 
going to doctors. Going to doctors was like the ultimate worst thing you could do practically. Mm -hmm. If you go to the doctor, you're really against God and you don't think that he's going to heal you and you have no faith. And it was very shamed to the point that nobody wanted to do it unless you actually thought you were going to probably die. Yeah, Like I had blood poisoning. I was pregnant, my first child, and I was so sick. I couldn't keep even water down and nobody did anything. There was no help I could get. I was on my own for that. And it got to the point that I lost so much weight and I got so malnourished that I was passing out every time I tried to stand up. And it it was so bad that finally we were like, we need to go to the hospital. And so they said, we'll drive you. And they dropped you off. They dropped us off and said, you're on your own now. I was pregnant and couldn't even stand up. And they were like, sorry, we don't believe in this, but if you want to, then you can go, but you'll be on your own. We'll drive you. Her partner was only 18 years old at the time. And he didn't have a car and a lot of money, I take it. <laughs> no, he didn't have money. No way. He didn't even yeah. have driver's licenses. No. He was a baby, but like he tried to help me where he could. Like he would go to the store and steal food for me and stuff because, you know. That is so unbelievable. You're in a cult that has used you for labor and sex on a regular basis against your will, denied you an education, and they're not feeding you. And I know that you guys grew up without food as children, too. There was a lot of malnourishment. Everybody had different experiences. There are people who will tell you, no, we were very cared for as children. We always had plenty of food and stuff. Not in our experience. It's not in either of our experiences. I haven't it's, read that in any. It's sad. I've read books from former child members, and they all talk about hunger and yes. being forced to sing in restaurants where people are eating beautiful meals in front of them, and they're hungry and they can't say so, and they have to fake their smile. Yeah, that was that was like daily life for a long time. Yeah, and I'm so sorry you experienced that, but I think that's part of why you've got people who have left, who lived how you did, who became famous actors. Yeah, we could act our way through anything. (laughs) I heard on a podcast from someone who had written a book about the experience of growing up in a cult. And she said, there's always silver threads. There's always like meaning a silver lining to a cloud. And that made me so uncomfortable. And I kept thinking about it afterward, like, First of all, you shouldn't be speaking for every single person from a cult ever. Second, I honestly spent more time thinking about it because I was so surprised. So, for instance, I grew up where I was being forced to work and give them my money. And then the elders whose children didn't work and the elders didn't work because they were elders. They would take their daughters to fabric stores. They could pick out any fabric they wanted and they'd make beautiful quilts. And so when I left, I was always so pleased that I had been taught to value quilts. That was like one of the great things about my upbringing. And when that woman said that about silver threads, I thought, okay, nobody ever gave me fabric or took me to a fabric store. I had to work to pay for, I didn't realize it at the time, But basically, I'm putting into the pool that's going for the vacations for the elders and their children, the nice clothes they wear, their nice cars and the quilting. How is that a silver thread that I got to appreciate cults because someone else made? (laughs) 
That is very dangerous teachings, very dangerous way of looking at it because it's essentially you're silencing and minimizing and diminishing what the person went through or what happened to the person. Like, well, it's okay because this and this, because at least you're very cultured because you lived in so many countries. I've had people say that to me all the time, even some of our own peers. At least we had this. <laughs> we speak languages in the but you don't really live in those countries. You lived in a house or a compound yeah. in those countries, as I understand it. You're not out sightseeing all the time and going to right. restaurants. Here's the thing that that I want to say to people who come up with that. Yeah, sure. I did learn a lot of languages. I could have also done that not being abused. <laughs> those things that were quote unquote good would have been so much better if I wasn't also <laughs> separated from my parents and et cetera, et cetera. That's why it's just bullshit when someone comes along and says, oh, look for the benefit of it. Yeah, that makes me feel very upset. It's almost like when you're telling them what happened to you, it makes them so uncomfortable that they feel like I have to try and make something positive out of this to show this poor person that everything wasn't so terrible. And you're sitting there, okay, I understand that you're trying to sympathize and make things better for me, but... You're actually doing the opposite because it's almost like survivor shaming. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, right? Sure. And it makes you feel the same way as if someone was shaming you. So I think the intentions are good. Oh, yeah. For sure. yeah but but so. sometimes good intentions are not necessarily <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. One of the problems with that is it's awkward for the host to disagree with someone. Yes. And I think given the lack of information and the misunderstandings around the cultic experience, it's important for hosts to be able to say, dial it back a little bit, like maybe say something like, maybe we shouldn't speak for all cult mm-hmm. survivors or yeah. maybe some people experience that and it has applications, but. Yeah. Like you said, to put absolutely the good intentions is there. And I think in a lot of ways right now, a lot of people are drinking from a hose when it comes to what's been going on with cults because five years ago the general public was not knowledgeable of what cults were like now every other tv show and uh, like cults it's everywhere now and so there's people that are trying to learn and understand like all these experiences that people had and it's a lot of information all at once plus on top of that, there's the trauma and then the criminal aspect of it. And like all <laughs> a lot that yeah. someone's trying to juggle. So yeah, if you have a host that's sitting there like <laughs> trying to understand how to react to all this, it's understandable that it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, <laughs> I think maybe it would be good to put out a statement that is shared, like an email or something. This is what I would like to do. And I'd love it if you guys wanted to like, do it with me about like things that might be best to question or not validate in a podcast. And also maybe some things that make people from cults uncomfortable statements or questions, because we all know you don't want to walk up to an African-American woman and say, can I touch your hair? (laughs) But do people know not to ask us some of the questions they do? One of the first things almost everyone who isn't familiar with cult says when I tell them I grew up in a cult, where did you live and where were your parents? Just like, oh, okay, because it couldn't have happened here and all parents are good. So I must have been kidnapped. And then it's a <laughs> large number of people who've asked me that. Some of them must think that. Where were your parents? 
they joined, they started it in a lot of cases. They were leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually um, a really good idea. I think that would be a, a really good TikTok to do. Oh, uh, things not to ask kids when they tell you they're from a cult. <laughs> Number one, where were your parents? Because hello, it's a cult. They were gone. That's how it worked. <laughs> or they were there doing it. Or they were participating. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good idea. You guys are great. Okay. <laughs> you want to plug the fundraiser? Oh, please. Yes. Oh, we have a fundraiser on October 8th, Saturday, a painting class in Portland, Oregon. For anybody outside of the Portland area who can't make it, please send in any amount of money toward a scholarship for the people who are here and can't afford it. Also, please check us out on Facebook, Countercult Coalition, and please support Butterflies and Bravery, one of the wonderful um, podcasts for people, for ex-members of cults with insightful women who have experienced it and are kind and supportive. So thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you <laughs> you're, you're wonderful. Thank you. You're so awesome, Lisa. <laughs> it's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us and talking with us. And I think all of these things that we talked about are very pertinent subjects to a lot of lives and then also can help raise awareness to people that don't understand a lot about cults, things that you just might not realize. A lot of it's just, oh goodness, I never thought of that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Let's shake things up some more. Yeah. yeah. Let's do Surely. it. Yes. We've got <laughs> lots of things in the works. I know you guys are stuff that we're online hangouts, which people need to join. Those are so fun to just yeah. hang out yes. and talk in an informal way. We're going to be doing sessions of cult trivia every quarter, and we'll be sending out prizes in the mail. So people want to stay tuned for both of those. Yeah. Awesome. So stay brave. And remember that every single caterpillar, no, every single butterfly (laughs) was once a caterpillar. I get backwards. But I'm also... Caterpillars come from butterflies, so, you know. Not every circle. single caterpillar <laughs> came from a butterfly. <laughs> Whoops, opposite. Whoops. <laughs> you guys are so funny.